arrested me and they put me in jail and called my pappy to throw my bail. And he said, son, you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Good final week of the NASCAR season, everybody. Doug Fireball Turnbull here alongside the heralded Eric Von Hessler. <laughs> yes, can it be finally? It, it's the it's we're already there. The last it seems like it's only been a, about a year. Which is about how long the season lasts an entire year. It, it, it seems like just, just just the right amount of time. It, it seems like it was just February. It really was. It, it, but it really does feel like it was just February to me. I, I remember I didn't go to Daytona this year. I went to, um, I'd, I'd stay back because we were still working hard on the traffic app and I was taking a lot of my time. The Triple T Traffic Alerts app, by the way. Great and app. Great it, app. Telling you. Telling you, folks. You need to download that. It's the only one where the reporters talk to you while you're driving. And, uh, yeah, anyway. look, either people want to save themselves time or they, or they don't, right? I mean, it, it's it's. You want to get to work here. quicker, you get the app. If you don't, you like sitting in traffic, don't get the app. And it's less clunky than the NASCAR mobile app, okay? so that's. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I didn't get to go to Daytona, but there was a remote that Atlanta Motor Speedway did at a at a bar and grill on the day of the 500 kind of a pre-race tailgate thing and that feels like yesterday yeah. i feel like just a few weeks ago i was at that and here we are at the end of the season on the eve necess- uh, the eve week wise not day wise of the final uh, ford championship weekend at homestead miami speedway and we came off, um, and by the way, uh, Dan Elliott not with us today. He wasn't answering the phone. He was all rip roaring to go yesterday to do uh-huh. this. We ditched him. Yeah. Now he's ditching us and paying us back. But uh, it's, it's an Elliott payback. It is an Elliott not payback. Not the first thing. one we've seen this week. Not, not the first one we've seen at all. So let's jump right in there, uh, Eric Von Hessler. <laughs> this season, I think, has needed a jolt. And here in the last throws of the 2017 cam- campaign, we've seen. Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott have some conflagration and then it goes down again in the desert where they're racing each other hard so that really if you look at the score I don't know see I've got a question for you Eric here we go as a longtime race fan when drivers get even does the when they go and punch them in the face after the race or bump their car or yell at them or or tweet that they're a d-bag or something like that is does that even the score or does it have to get even on the track because some could argue if you write me on the track I go punch you in the face we're even Mm mm-hmm well, Chase Elliott did a little crash of cars and yelling, and then he he was pretty mum, and then he waited two weeks, yeah. and at Phoenix, he raced close to Denny Hamlin, didn't cut him any brakes, uh, Denny scraped the wall and, and cut a tire, and that was his season's demise. I think the, the answer there is that they're even. I think it's definitely even if you take care of it on the track. If you take care of it off take care of it off track, it depends on the relationship between the drivers at that point. That yeah. might be enough. But definitely when you get even on the track – then you're even. The question is, is does it now become an actual rivalry where there's more to come? Even though they're even now, do they actually have a dislike for each other that's going to keep on showing up? I think uh, one thing's happening is at the end of the season that did need a spark is that uh, Chase Elliott is solidifying a fan base, which may be a little bit of, you know, those Dale Jr. people need have a need a place to go. And, and it makes and, sense that yeah. they would have a place to go. Elliott's a Hendrick driver. He won the 2014, already three years ago, by the way, the 2014 Xfinity Series Championship driving for Dale Jr. Mm-hmm. And although he is Bill Elliott's son, Bill Elliott was the reigning most popular driver for, I think, like 13 or 14 Dale years Jr. Came before, along. before Dale Jr. came along. So it, it would make sense that those two that things... They go from Elliott to Earnhardt back to Elliott. And something that plays into this as well, and this has been a theme, especially in this playoffs, is Chase Elliott now has seven second-place finishes in his career, tied for the most, uh, second most all-time before his win, and I think that Bill Elliott is the one who has the most today, oh, I'm pretty sure. And so here, here's some of the poetry that played out at the end. You've got Chase Elliott is kind of the heir apparent maybe to the popularity throne, but Chase Elliott also seen as an heir apparent to the the Mount Rushmore of drivers that could be the most the most successful as well. Certainly. And you kind of saw but maybe a baton passing because Jimmy Johnson cuts a tire, hits the wall, and his championship's done. And, and he's got only four top five finishes this whole year, only 11 top tens. And three of those top fives are the wins he got early in the season. We should come back but, around to that because that's pretty interesting. Yeah, we, yeah. And we are. We are. Yeah. That's going to be. This is five to go, by the way, where we go five subjects and go deep on each one. But with Chase, I think you have all these ingredients starting to really make somebody that could be very lovable to a lot of fans because now he's shown fire 
Now he's competitive, but he's also getting his heart broken. A lot of people were loving Martin Truex Jr. when he was losing more races but almost winning them than now that he's winning them so much. And Chase is still on kind of the lovable loser side of that. Yeah. Sorry to call you that, Chase. No, no. He's a, it's, a, it's a compliment, He's listening. Right? He's, yeah, it's, it's a compliment. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I agree with all that. What I don't understand is when did Denny Hamlin get a bad guy image? I've never seen Denny Hamlin. Uh, I, I mean, I know how this started with Elliott. But uh, it's surprising to me that after all these years, Denny Hamlin doesn't have a pretty sizable fan base. I mean, I know he has his fans, but you know, he's Denny just, Hamlin's been, he's not a household name yeah. to anybody outside of NASCAR. It's the kind of it's, thing like, like Matt Kenseth. If you're in NASCAR, you know yeah. who he is. But I remember one time, maybe this is kind of thing that Hamlin sort of deals with. Uh, after when Kenseth won his championship, uh, there was a Green Bay versus Redskins game. And on the sideline, so it's the big game of the week, and on the sideline, because Matt Kenseth is from that area, and he's a Packers yeah. fan, and Junior is famously yeah. a Dale Redskins fan. Famous, yeah. So they go on the, uh, on the NFL broadcast, they point them out, and they only talk about Dale Jr., Matt Kenseth was the reigning NASCAR champion at yeah. that time, and the guys in the booth had no idea who he was. Yeah. They talked about Dale Jr. Hey, and I don't know what it is. Hamlin has an association with Michael Jordan. He's a golfer. He... I get it. It's, it he's he not completely. Met, he famously met Joe Gibbs uh, when he was 12 years old and right. said, "I'm going to drive for you one day." Yeah, I mean, he he yeah. has all the elements to think, but he just he doesn't break through for a lot of people, and I think he just doesn't have that personality and doesn't have yeah. something that makes him likable that that race fans relate to. And Kenseth actually does have a lot of personality, but he just has never been extremely marketable in his career and he hasn't really chased it. that. Yeah. I, so I think with Hamlin, he's just never been the guy. Think about this. There, Denny Hamlin was a rookie in 2006. 2006 was the first year of Jimmy Johnson's five titles in a row. So for the first 40% or so of Denny Hamlin's career, making the, pulling the number out 2006 to 10, whatever. Now we're, yet yeah, for the first almost half of his career, Denny Hamlin is second fiddle or less to Jimmy Johnson, the last of which those championships got pride right out of Denny Hamlin's hands. He yes. had it won in 2010. Yeah. It just, I just don't think he's ever broken through and been the guy. You know, Tony Stewart had a, had a point in time kind of in between Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson where he was number one. Yeah. But the one-offs, Kurt Busch, Matt Kenseth, Kevin Harvick is huge within the NASCAR ranks. Outside of NASCAR, I don't know that he is. No, he's he's probably not. And when we get to, I'm 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 very interested in Jimmy Johnson, but I'll wait. To well, get, well, no, let's I'll jump, wait to get to that. I, let, I, let's jump know. to that. I think we could say that Chase and Denny are even now. They're Chase, even, and that, we 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 long for more, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. We're kind of we're kind of hoping these guys just don't like each other, and this kind of soap opera arc continues. In the future, but with Elliott winning races. Well, yeah, and and Elliott was within nine or ten laps of winning. Yeah, and then Matt each Kenseth, one took he, the other out of a playoff chance. Right. So right, and think about this: if Elliott finishes seventh at Martinsville instead of twenty seventh, he's in a much better spot. Yeah. Okay. And and it just it uh, I think that he, I think he felt he had the title taken from him that he was going to win that race, and so he wasn't cutting Denny any slack. And I don't think that anybody is really holding too much against Chase Elliott it's after that. It was justice. payback. It's frontier justice. Yeah, it's fine. It's wild, wild he west. didn't overdo it. He didn't overdo it. He didn't underdo it. He you know, you you knocked me out of the chase. Guess what? I just knocked you out of it. So Chase Elliott's favorite driver growing up was Jimmy Johnson. Oh. All right. Ch- Chase Elliott tested Jimmy Johnson's race car at Gresham Motorsports Park one time when J- when the 48 team came there for a test and uh, I I can say it now cuz it's years later but he wrecked the car. Okay, <laughs> he wrecked the car. I found out about it. They're like, "Don't tell him," because he was like sixteen. You know, it was a long time ago. It was right when he first got with Hendrick. But, but they, it's it's great to see the mid tour mentee thing going on, and and to think that Chase Elliott is going to be the driver with most of the experience at Hendrick Motorsports yeah. after Junior and Kane are gone, because you have Bowman, uh, Bowman and William Byron coming behind him. But Jimmy Johnson has had no speed in these playoffs, and has somehow managed to be in the top eight, okay? Yeah. He, he, despite having wrecks and bad luck, he they've somehow stumbled into that eighth position, and all they had to do at Phoenix, well, the only thing they could do to advance from Phoenix was to win. Last year, they looked very similar, but then they got to home, they got into Homestead and then, and then yeah. managed to steal that race. 
So he will not win an, a record-breaking eighth title this year. And Eric, I want you to just kind of talk about what you've observed for the forty-eight team, and if you think he could win. Well, still I'm that wondering eighth. what's going. I'm, I'm wondering what's what's going on over there because, given the fact that Chase does have speed over in the Hendrick, uh, if no yeah. one if no one had speed over there, you can maybe understand. But Chase, Chase, so there's somebody in the Hendrick garage that has a better program right now than Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss. And that makes me wonder if these two guys have had enough of each other. You know, well, as successful as you are, when you work together day in and day out for that many since years... Since the end of the 2001 season. Yeah. <laughs> that it may be a personality thing that's starting to crop up here, which would be a bit of a shame. I've always... Uh, uh-oh. I believe I've been joined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, finish your thought there. But the, the Chase and uh, uh, excuse me, Jimmy and Chad Canals have been together this long. I'm just wondering. Then, I'm, one, I'm wondering if it's a personality thing because what I haven't seen before, we've seen programs go down. But it's interesting to me that Chase Elliott has had speed, and you actually have a team in that Hendrick garage that has a better, faster program right now than Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss, so I'm wondering if it's the personalities at this point. And, and the whole race, uh, up until Johnson cut that tire and hit the wall, that entire race, Chad was hounding Jimmy on the radio. Come on, man. Drivers are finding speed in the top groove and the middle groove. Like, go find something, and Jimmy was just like, I can't drive it there. Sorry. And Jimmy has said consistently th- through recent times, there, there is something about these cars that we're just not feeling right now, and in, in an effort to get speed, we have taken the feel out of them, right. taken the grip or whatever it is out of them, and so it's it's hard to know what they're missing, but they have been just flat off, and I think right now seeing the dominance of the Toyotas is one thing that's made everybody seem like their seasons are off mm-hmm. except for Truex and Kyle Busch. Also, Jimmy Johnson getting three wins in the first quarter or third of the season. He is now, by the way, at the uh, longest winning streak of his career, Johnson is. But those three wins really mask what's been a, a very uh, stank kind of season there. And, we, and since we're talking about cars running like junk, I hear a bunch of junk thrown around in the back. Let's pull in Dano Elliott from Dawsonville, the championship winning mechanic and former manager of Gresham Motorsports Park. How you doing, Dano? <laughs> I'm assuming he's doing well. He he's he sounds like he's doing great. He's I'm, there I'm he assuming, is. Yeah, I'm assuming he's doing well. He's working anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan, I'm sorry that uh that you that you missed out the beginning of the discussion there. Sorry about yesterday, but it's good to have you on. You obviously heard us talking about the forty eight team and having been dominant and really being off this year. What have you observed as as a guy who's been close and seen the the wane, if you will, or the ebbs and flows of a championship winning team? You know, where look at all the years they've done extremely well, and we've not said anything in past years because definitely seven championships and and uh, unbelievable. And you know that there's got to be some off times or some off years. Maybe this seems to be one of them that they're a little bit off. And just think about how little it takes to make a lot when you're talking about off. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, having been in the garage, is there a possibility? I just I just compare it in radio. You can be with people and be very successful, but sometimes just working with the same people after ten or eleven about that. I know nothing. Just you know, when you're together for so long, sometimes you just are just tired of working with the same people. Is it a possibility that personally they've just had enough of each other? You know, I don't know if it's working with the same people or not. You, I think you get into that groove where you. You don't really, you're, you're in this thing of this is what worked with, and maybe the fact that they've been together so long is you need, sometimes you just need some fresh blood. Yeah. New ideas, new ways to do things because each day, and if you don't change with them, then, then you fall behind and maybe that's what happened, but the thing about it is, is they're there with all the other teams and they see what they're doing. And maybe it's just, maybe they're they're just off just a tick. Jimmy just doesn't like the changes that's being done to the car. Right. And it's not his style. And you're off just a tick and it makes a lot of difference. And I think that's, I think we something comparable is what we saw happen with Tony Stewart at the end. 
Yeah, and yep, Stewart had was. several things mixed in. You know, I mean, I think there was a psychological sure. element from what he went through in the whole Kevin Ward Jr. tragedy. Uh, there's this uh, breaking his back, I think, was yeah. a big thing. Breaking his leg, and I mean, I mean, in a really catastrophic sprint car wreck. There were several things that happened with Tony Stewart. But at the end, I just mm-hmm. don't think he had the feel in the cars because what the cars were doing, even more so last year than this year, my understanding, Dan and Eric, is that they the cars were – so stuck to the racetrack. There was there was not very much lift time in the corners. It was really just you know finding that car and making it stick. And Stewart's uh, Stewart, the thing that made him greatest was ha- finding that little extra little bit as a driver that you could do to out finesse. And Jimmy Johnson was is like that too as a yes. driver, able to drive it when it's out of control. If it's not out of control, then maybe you can't get an yeah. edge on somebody else. Yeah. <clears throat> to talk about people, I guess it's surprising to me if we're seeing it in Jimmy Johnson because obviously we've seen it in, in other eras. Dale Jarrett couldn't make things go at the end of his career. Bobby Labonte, I mean, just fell off a cliff at the end of he, his he career. He really did, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we've seen it with other drivers, certainly. Yeah. But, uh, it's and, just but those guys, I mean, we haven't seen that fall off yet. For Jim. We've seen a right. fall off compared to Jimmy's other numbers. Yeah. Uh, and, no, and I'm and just he's, surprised. And he's had that career lows this year, though. I think for sure. this is the first time since Jimmy Johnson has been in there. Did Did Jeff Gordon win his last one while Jimmy was there? No, he, uh, no. He, no so Jeff Gordon the, won it in 2001. So this is the yeah. first year that, since Jimmy and Chad have been in the Hendrick garage that they didn't have the best team in the garage in Hendrick. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's a good that's, point. Yeah, yeah. there was a year 2011 was an off year for Jimmy. The first year that he did, you know, after the five in a row. He only won a couple of races, just never really. But but it wasn't statistically as bad as what this right. year has been, and and there've been some others too. But there it was rare to see the twenty four team consistently outrunning the forty eight. There was a couple of years, two thousand nine and two thousand seven. I think it was two thousand yeah two thousand and nine and two thousand seven. Were a couple of years where Gordon was better and Johnson prevailed yeah. in the end. I remember in, in Steve Latart's first year uh, that Jeff Gordon's yeah. program was really good. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's tough to really nail it down, and this is something that people in media circles and fan circles, and I'm sure in other teams of the garage, oh yeah, and maybe in Hendricks Concord Palace as well, over, over there off Speedway Boulevard, they're all thinking, well, what, what, what do we do here? There isn't, okay, so what we're dealing with here at Cox Media Group is integration, right? They're yeah. taking TV, radio, newspaper, digital, and trying to intersperse it and make it not a silo deal. If, if for those that don't know it, the Hendricks shop, the twenty, uh, see the tw- I gotta get this right. The twenty four and the five are in the same shop together, right. and the forty eight and the eighty eight are in a different build. They're completely different buildings. Mm-hmm. I know there are systems and information shared, but they operate almost like separate race teams. And there is a long term plan in place to get them all it in is, the right. same building. And, and and I wonder in this transition if that well I, what I wonder is behind. if Rick Hendrick is thinking about what you normally think about although in the past with this with this team you wouldn't think about all right you've got new people coming in William Byron young drivers does Hendrick say does he do one of the crew chief switches like maybe it's a good idea if I put Chad Canals with William Byron right yeah and 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 then maybe switch do a little switcheroo in the past you wouldn't think about that sort of thing. But uh, maybe now you do. Well, I don't think that uh, – Dan, you jump in. I'm stepping in front of you there. But I, the lineup for 2018 is set. It's already set. Okay. And the, the Byron team will become team number 24, but it's the five cars and crew yeah. with Darian Grubb continuing on. He's It was in an interim crew chief role with Casey Kane right. these last few races. will now continue on as William Byron's crew chief. Alex Bowman will be paired up with Greg Ives and the, and the 88 team. Chase Elliott will still be with Alec Gustafson, but the 24 turns into the number nine. nine right. But it's all, it's all the 24 But you know, you can, do that, yeah. cru- you can do that crew chief switcheroo at any time. We see it sometimes yeah. it's done by teams in the middle of the season. Yeah. I've never seen Hendrick do the whole thing. They, right. They've switched pit crews before. I've never seen him switch crew chiefs with other drivers in the middle of the season. The last right. time they had that huge shakeup was before the 2011 season when mm-hmm. they took Mark Martin's personnel and put them on the 88 and, and switched the shots with the 88 with the 48. So it's going to be interesting to see. Dano, do you think Jimmy Johnson has an eighth title left in him? Just one year removed from his seventh. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I honestly believe he does. I think that, that he's too young a driver not to have another one because – very seasoned Jimmy all together, but in hungry and and you want it worse than anybody else, and you're willing to take the risks that nobody else will. And and man, shaking out right now at the end of the season, especially trying to get that first win. 
Yeah, certainly. I uh, I I agree with that. I, I think that almost certainly he has an he has an eighth one in him. It's hard, whether or not this, they do it together, I don't know, but I feel like he's got an eighth one in him. It's cer- certainly in this format where you get a lot of resets going on, and and this could be controversial, with you guys. I'm not counting this as another topic. We're our second of the five to go topics here, uh, but I just want to say. I'm loving the stage racing, and I'm loving the elimination format. To me, it played out just as it should have at Phoenix. You had two of the five guys going for for that one spot in the championship four crash out, that being Hamlin and Johnson. You had Elliott in position to win, and then he gets passed by Matt Kenseth at the very end. And then you have Brad Keselowski, who was was dog crap all day long, and Hamlin was surely the guy to beat. And then after the, the people start falling by the wayside, Kislowski just has to survive once Elliott gets out of the lead there, and and he becomes the. I, I, to me, it's exciting. I, I agree. I like it know, as well. I like it as well. Even though it's not a season long champion, so at the end of that race, guys, Matt Kenseth ends up the victor. It breaks a year and a half long winless streak. It's you know roughly fifty forty to fifty some races. That's a pretty long streak there, especially Gibbs equipment, and. We know that Kenseth is not continuing on next season. The chances of him winning this coming race here at Homestead s- certainly could be there, but you think that everything at the Gibbs and Toyota camp is going to be torqued over to the 18 and the 78, respectively. Kenseth gets out of his car, fist bumps, hands pointed to the sky, standing on the roof of his car, tears coming down his face. Normally, the stoic Wisconsin is uh, is not right. not so much. He and and he and he and he was full of one liners in his post race presser too. I mean, just you know, to, with media members knowing this is probably the last time I sit here. So, Dan, I wanted to come to you. Can you think about in your long career and long time as a race fan, somebody so close to knowing it's their final race having such a moment of elation? You know, it, it truly comes to all of us that have been through the sport. And whether you realize it or whether you don't, you can try to pick your year, your life year, but fortunate others might have it picked for them. So you don't know when it's going to be your turn. You just know that, that it's coming down to the last of it. And definitely with, with that win, jump into any cars next year do you think he will jump into anything next year to keep running to keep going i don't think he's going to do it just to run it's going Uh, to be if you know if if alex bowman uh hurts his back at a go-kart accident in the off season hey you want to come drive the 88 if if, i I think that's the only way kenzen gets into cars if he knows that he can win he's not going to go run for front row motorsports he's not even going to go run for roush or richard petty motors no well i think go if you go to uh the win, I think he realized, you know, he he did not choose this to be his final year, if it's going to be his final year. But by winning that race, I think maybe for himself, he thought, well, okay, if if it ends this way, then I'm a little bit better with it. Like, because you, how, how often, if he decides never to come back, and that's the last, he will have known when he was, he, he won his last race knowing it was the last race he was going to win, yeah. basically, if he, you know, unless he does it again this weekend. But uh, so I think that there was something that came over him like this. If it ends like this, it's not as bad as if it had ended without a, a win. Vindication. But I will say something. I'm a little bit, a little bit annoyed with Matt Kenseth because we hear about this idea that well, drivers like Matt Kenseth cost so much they've been priced out. So William Byron gets a ride for five hundred thousand dollars, which, by the way, to most people who are walking this planet, is pretty good change <laughs> yeah, it's, for, it's for good. making for going to work every day. And so, if Matt Kenseth now, who has plenty of money, has a championship under his belt, if he wants to continue driving, why can't he say, "I'll do it for five hundred thousand dollars"? Why I, I can't he do I that? I don't know that he had the opportunity. Okay. I think he, I think he thought that he had a shot at the five car. And Hendrick chose. I think Hendrick chose otherwise because they knew Byron was ready. Okay, I, I really okay. do. I don't think it was just, you don't think the, it's money, just the money. But, but I think if it's five million dollars of Matt Kenseth, who I know I'm going to have on a one year lease to give yeah. me to Byron, or I could get Byron right now, who by the way just won his fourth race of the season sure. and will be in the championship for at Homestead for the Xfinity Series. I think that that was Hendrick doing good business. I think yeah. I think that's. But I don't even mean just with Hendrick, but, but I mean the whole garage. Like if I'm Matt Kenseth and I put out the word, you know what? I'll match. You're a yeah. young, up-and-coming driver if you want to have me. I don't understand why he can't step back in money. He's got plenty of money if he wants to keep driving. I don't know that uh, 
Well, I don't know, Dan. You can weigh in. I don't know that the opportunity was there. I really don't. Okay. Except, I mean, because even at Stuart Haas right now, they're in a, a what is contract that all about? At the, which which part? Is it just because Smithfield is is married to Eric <laughs> yes. Almarola? I mean, yeah, I think Smithfield really believes in Eric Almarola. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's Maybe a, he's it. a better driver. So, but, Maybe I'll have to see when he gets into better equipment. But I don't, you know, you got to get. If I was, I was going to replace Danica Patrick. I'd put somebody in there that I, I know could I win. I would think so. Yes, yeah. and and but even with the and I was just thinking about even with the Kurt Busch situation over there, they're waiting for Monster. Essentially, the word is they're waiting for Monster to decide what they're going to do, and that's going to determine how much they could sign Kurt Busch for, if at all. So he could be out of the sport next year. So he year. could be out yeah. next year, but I, I don't think that's... He's I, shown that he'll drive anything. Kurt Busch will go drive yeah, anything. He, he will, and, yeah. I, and I think he'll have the opportunity to. Um, Dan, I was thinking about drivers that won late in their career before their last race, and they knew it was going to be their last race, and there's not too many I could think of. I can think of Dale Earnhardt, though, winning... I think he won Talladega with four races to go in the 2000 season, and then his last race was the Daytona 500 in 2001. I'm just trying to rack my brain for any driver that kind of knew this was it and and got to actually wave the checkered flag on their own terms like that. Been very many that have done it on their own terms, uh, and even the ones that probably did it on their own terms, some have come back to drive a little bit more. You know. Yeah. Jeff they, Gordon they might and Martinsville have a season, yeah. or they might say this is going to be the last, and then come back and do some more. It, Jeff, um, Je- Jeff Gordon at Martinsville in 2015, knowing that I'm not—I mean, at that point, he didn't know he was coming back for yeah. ten races in 2016. He, when he won Martinsville, he knew this might be—I mean, that's my yeah. best shot to win. And I certainly had. I think that he feeling. made a mistake coming back. By the way, I—I I, I don't think kind of ruined the whole because his his farewell and Lewis Hamilton came over and that was a <laughs> you know what I mean that was a big deal. Everybody yeah. was there, and then oh yeah, I'm gonna come back and drive ten other races. Just kind of. I think they had to really twist his ear to do yeah. it. I don't. I don't yeah. think he was. I think nationwide or in the sponsors. You think, you think they You think that his wallet real good? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think they, look, they I'm paid a, a, Matt I, I'm, a I'm a dyed in the wool capitalist, but at some point you get to the point where there are so many millions in your wallet that uh, a few hundred thousand more doesn't yeah, do a whole you, lot. You know, you, this com- that was not the conversation you, you were just race, having with Sarah Rettinger a second ago. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, if you love to race, that's another thing too. And mm. and maybe it didn't take as much money just knowing that you love to race, and you just got to do it. You get you just got to do it one more time. D- okay, yeah. so y'all y'all are familiar with uh, Ricky Craven from uh, yeah, you know, the driver, absolutely. and he's on ESPN now. You should drive work, the Tide car, I believe. Yes, yes, and it had two magnificent wins in that car, mm. by the way, as well. Ricky Craven does just phenomenal, thoughtful work for ESPN.com he's very good. and and on the air. And he wrote an article about the end of your career and knowing it's your time. And he talked about that. And and this may be something, you know, I, I want to throw to you guys here. We'll call this uh, topic number three. He talked about the the drive to win is what really gets drivers out there. And it's not so much that they love just racing. That elite drivers, especially that are used to winning and having the chance to win, are addicted to the competition and the grind of the rest of it is really the opposite of that for them. They put I mean, up with that you, part. What do you think with that notion? I mean, it's it's kind of tough to argue with a guy who's actually driven compared to you and me, Eric. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I mean, but, I mean uh, Eric, you first. What do you think about it's really the competition that's the addiction there? I think that that goes to most athletes in, in all sports. And I know sometimes people laugh at the concept of race drivers being athletes, but I see them as athletes. And, I, and they have the same mentality. And I think that it really is about competition. I think um, it, it, you always hear stories about people who are at the top of their sports that they will they will compete with you to be first in line at the cash register. you know. And so uh, I, I believe that that's, it's, that's really what it's about. And maybe w- when you know it's time to walk away from whatever your sport is, is when you don't feel that. Like you show up one day and you don't feel that hunger yeah. to compete. And only and only the athlete, him or herself, can actually have that recognition that uh, I'm here and I can stay here because I have a right to be here, but I'm not feeling what I felt two seasons ago. That's That happens, I guess, in – you know that's why Tom Brady is still playing because he still feels like he's 28 years old and he, he walks still in there actually can and compete. Yeah, play, exactly. You know, but there, there might be a day that he shows up and realizes, you know what? I don't, 
I didn't go as hard as I normally would, and I don't even know why. I'm just a little more comfortable in my life. This happens, well, and you, and I think you re- you uh, weigh the the risks of your competition, mm-hmm. and you also weigh in. Well, I love this competition, but how how much is the pain in the butt to get in shape and to go all the practices right. and to go all if NASCAR, mm-hmm. all the sponsor appearances, and I, like and, with, and with racing, it's so dangerous. That yeah. uh, at what point when you have a couple of kids and you got things going, do you not go for that hole? Like when you were 22, right. any hole opens up and you go right into it. But then you get a little more on your mind and there are other people involved. Dan, I, I remember um, I was just a kid and it was before I really liked, it was into NASCAR when this happened. When Bill Elliott, your brother, had a tremendous wreck at Talladega and I think it was like 97 maybe. And I remember my dad yeah, saying, 96, me, "96, I think." 96, and I remember my dad saying to me then that he saw a change of Bill Elliott's driving after that because that that did something to him. Did you notice that same thing? And and also, I want you to comment too on just the the drive to win more than racing itself. No, but I saw a big change in Darrell Waltrip after he hit the hit the wall so hard at Daytona. Oh yeah, uh, and and really got his bell rung and. And I've seen that with numerous drivers where you where you really get your bell rung and, and you're just different after that. And and you know, let's go back to let's go back to getting run over on pit road because I'm a veteran of two of those. Yeah. And the first one really doesn't it didn't do a lot for me as far as stopping me from doing it or making me think any different still had the desire to go on and, and do what I did and then came back and and you think that lightning won't strike twice in the same place. Well you come back to Atlanta and Natty and, and you get the same thing again. And yeah, that was and the that was the that terrible one. The, that was the one the where your first, crew member died. Right? Yep. That was that was the that was the I decided to do the first four races in Natty one just to see if I could still do it or if I felt different about it. And those four races were the only ones I worked in. Natty one was the first four, and I could still do what I needed to do. It's just you get to the point, do you still want to do this five years down the road, or will your health still be good enough to do this? You have to make some really, really on what your life needs to be. I think it, I think it gets a lot tougher as you get older too, especially if you're still in a competitive situation like Kenseth and Earnhardt Jr., like Tony Stewart the season before, who still was in good equipment but yeah. not terribly competitive himself, and Jeff Gordon the year before that. It's hard to believe how many drivers are fading into the sunset here in these last five years. And the same Homestead finale, and I think yeah, it was 2013. 2013. Let me make sure I'm counting right. You had Mark Martin and I believe Ken Schrader. Call it quits in the same race. Mm-hmm. And at Talladega in 2015 was Terry Labonte's last race. Bobby Labonte is pretty much, I mean, they were barely racing anyway. Bobby Labonte's pretty much done now. Then you got Stewart, Kenseth, Gordon, Earnhardt Jr. That's, you're, you're wiping the slate clean. The last drivers in the Cup Series that are competitive, I know Derek Cope still surfaces every now and again, <laughs> but the last drivers to be competitive in the Cup Series. That, that, that are uh, that raced at all in the '90s, ran any laps in the '90s, were Kenseth and Earnhardt Jr., who made just very spot starts there the the 1999 season. Then uh, that's hey, it. <laughs> and it's a uh, Doug, you're, Doug, you're you're just getting old. Well, that's it. That's it. Yes. <laughs> but is there overlap? I mean, obviously there is overlap with Chase and with uh, with 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 Kyle Larson and uh, certainly Eric Jones. Looks like he could turn out to be yeah. something really special. Uh, Ryan so, Blaney. Ryan Blaney. So we'll, we'll have to see if these uh, because it is it's a it's a driver. It's a personality driven sport. You know. The, well, do you, do you think that this is uh, Doug? Do you remember the Gillette Young Guns? Uh, I do remember the Gillette your, Young Guns. Your, they need to bring it back. Gillette Old Guns now. Yeah. <laughs> they, they need to come up with a new now, group Let's think of who those guns. drivers were. You had, you had Kurt Busch, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jamie McMurray. Uh, I don't know if they put. I don't know if Kenseth got in on the sponsorship. They got Kevin Harvick, Ryan Newman, Ryan Newman, Newman was in it. Jimmy, yeah. you know, Jimmy Johnson was in that same class. Whether he was actually considered in the Young Guns, mm-hmm. 
Gillette, who is struggling against Dollar Shave Club and all these like smaller, less expensive things. They, right. they, they need to open the door right back right. in and get back because they can sign up Eric Jones, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, uh, even the Dillon brothers, if you want to, yeah. you know, I mean, Ty Dillon. Although I, I, would, uh, I would like to see one last commercial where you go back to those young guns in a nursing home or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Racing each other on scooters and whatever. Hey, so uh, this, uh, the, as much talk as there's been about the young guns, let's go to our fifth topic. I mislabeled this one as the third earlier. Before you go to the fourth. fifth, I have to oh, say, yes. before we get to the, after after five, we have to circle back to one quickly because we have to ask Dan Elliott oh, yes. our first question, that, okay? That, that's great. Right, so yeah, okay. we'll, put, we'll, put, we'll index that there. Okay. So let's, let's jump here to um, our last one, and this is one that is not a unique topic, but we just need to sift through because this is, there is no... And there, there is no advantage that one driver has over the other points-wise now. It's literally who finishes ahead of the other and the championship four races for, by the way, all of the, the National Series, the Truck Series Friday night, the Xfinity Series Saturday, the Cup Race Sunday. And speaking of the Cup Series, you have Martin Truex Jr., the mile-and-a-half king this year, seven wins. Kyle Busch, several wins on his plate. Kevin Harvick, who seems to be coming on strong of late, and then Brad Keselowski, who got some wins early and, you know, won Talladega to barely survive in the playoffs and then got lucky essentially at Phoenix and was able to skate into Homestead here. Uh, Dan, I'll go to you first. Who do you think, just with your gut or with stats or with experience, none of these are young guns, by the way, <laughs> which one do you think is the guy that takes home the Homestead trophy? You know, I could, I could say any of the ones – but you know as well as I do, there is no way of knowing until the flag falls, not even on the white flag lap. There is no way of knowing until the flag falls, and, and I wouldn't even want to wager a guess. There, there are, it is, it's difficult because if you just look at the whole season, you'd say, well, I'll put my money on Truex because he seems to, he seems to show up all the time. But then I would say to myself, am I going to bet against Kyle Busch in one race when he has one race mm-hmm. to take the whole thing home? Well, uh, Kevin Harvick is a guy who can win any race. And yeah. Brad Keselowski and has a tremendous yeah. record at Homestead, yeah. by the way. I was just looking yeah. at that. And Keselowski has magical races from time to time. So uh, if I was, if you put a gun to my head, that would be rude, by the way. But if you did, <laughs> it would be rude. I would, I, I would, I guess I would, I guess I'd place it on on Truex, but only because you put a gun to my head. Kevin Harvick has an average finish of six point nine at Homestead. He's won that race before when he won the championship in twenty fourteen. The only argument I have against Truex, besides just anything can happen, late yeah. caution, a re- restart, you know, I miss a shift yeah. in there, I get bad pit stop there, penalty, Blow a tire, it, you know, yeah, yeah, it's Truex. He has masked what is something that has dogged him the last few years of his career when he's had all these near wins, mm-hmm. and that's that in big moments, a lot of times, either he or that 78 team has had just terrible luck, or he's gotten the yips and made a mistake. And mm-hmm. He's also I, he's been a couple of bad calls from the box, too, I think, he's, he's bringing him in at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think Cole Pern right now is in Chad Canal's yeah. status as far as everybody can see. He's made great calls, he's... He said it the cars the right way, obviously. I guess what I'm saying but, is, it doesn't it kind of seems like his year? That's the only reason that I would put it on there. But again, to say, am I going to bet against Kyle Busch in one race? That's hard to do. And Kyle Busch has had a lot of those moments this year where yeah. he should probably have a if few he more lo- wins. He's more likely to have something go wrong in yep. the pits than, la- than last able- year. Right. Bad yeah. pit stop. Last year, bad pit stop. Last year, Edwards had it one late caution for a, a lap car, you know, kind of a BS reason. And Edwards ends up, you know, in the wall. Okay, it's, so it's, it's so just, hard. It is so hard to call because I Kevin Harvick years ago before he got his first championship, I just always looked at him as a guy who would retire with two or three. So yeah. to see him, you know, in there, it's it is just. A, I guess we all we sound like. And, why do we even have a show if we're not going to pick it? But it, it really is. This is what this playoff system has I, done. For yeah. as far as if Brad Keselowski goes, jumps up and wins the championship, that's going to make people. I think Dan doesn't like this this yeah. style. To, I mean, the people that say, "What that guy wasn't even that strong this year? How does he win the championship?" You know? Yeah, and and was really struggled at Phoenix again. Not even a top ten car yeah. until the very end with some pit strategy. Uh, Brad Keselowski, here's that edge. 
he and Paul Wolf, his crew chief, and his spotter Joey Meyer, too. They are just so they they find an intrinsic thing in these races that they're able to hit on. Sometimes yeah. they're always strategizing. I know everybody's strategizing. But they they have a knack for finding the weak spot and going for it and taking two tires here or yeah. Brad finding some angle in a turn. They, 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 you, you know, one little know. tweak that they might be able to make to the playoff thing and, and maybe have a little bit of both worlds is maybe if the last two or three races were just four guys and then you had a little bit of a of old style kind of running for the thing. It does seem arbitrary to, that if somebody has the best year, like Truex, but with 50 laps to go just blows a tire. Yeah. Can't win. It just seems a little, you know, I'm not I'm not going to use it, the word fairness. That doesn't matter, but it doesn't seem necessarily reflective of the r- true champion. That that is certainly the uh the rub on that for sure. All right, Dan, I want to circle back to our first subject of the day. And it, and I assuming that you got got to sift through everything on Sunday there with Chase and Denny racing hard and, and Chase racing Denny just a little bit harder there and it causing uh, Denny's demise not only in the race but in the championship. Are Chase and Denny Hamlin even now? Was did Chase do anything wrong? Did Denny Hamlin do anything wrong to to also uh, damn his title hopes? You know, I think that um, in this situation, it's racing. No matter how you slice it, it's racing. And I hate when anything happens like that to create friction. I know uh, probably neither one's going to send each other a Christmas card, but um, you know, you, you you never know till it's all over, till it sifts out, but. I would say that uh, if it were if it were me, I'd be even with the deal now, but I still wouldn't forget it. Right, you still would race them tight. I got another question for you too. This is what I asked uh, Eric earlier. Okay, if like like what happened in Las Vegas where Joey Logano got loose and wrecked Kyle Busch, and then Kyle went and punched him in the face allegedly, although Logano says he didn't actually land the punch. Does the punch make them even, or does Bush still need to go get him even on the track? Because some could argue that by Chase ramming into Denny on the cool-down deal at Martinsville and then going out and yelling at him, that that was uh, an, an exacting of revenge. But it, it really didn't cost the same in a lot of eyes. So are, are they're even now in your eyes, but if Chase had just left it alone at wrecking Denny's car at the end of uh, Martinsville, would that have done it? You know, it's frustration, and everybody's very passionate about what they do, and and everybody is out there to win the race. There's nobody going to sit back and let things like this slide. And you've got to vent your frustration. Either that or it's going to eat you up all week long till the next event and you do get your revenge. So it was good to get it off your chest. And then now after the incident, it's uh, one of those where let's go on and race, but uh, I'll be careful how I race against you next time we're together. I feel like it, uh, when it, once it happens on the track is the, is the evening Thing, yeah. and although they each took their championship yeah. away from the other, remember that? Remember that I miss, uh, I, I, I don't, it wasn't like it was my favorite driver or anything, but I feel like I think it's the third or fourth time I've brought up Ricky Rudd in this yes. podcast. Yes, but you remember that, uh, years ago when uh, the he and Rusty Wallace couldn't stand each other, and uh, there was a fight, and Ricky Rudd threw a a water bottle, not a plastic water bottle, but threw a bottle and it beamed off of uh, Rusty Wallace's forehead. And I felt like that was the one situation where, boy, they handled that one off the track. Yeah. Like, he <laughs> could have given that guy a concussion, you know? Yeah, I, I remember Dale Earnhardt throwing the water bottle at Rusty. I, I'm trying to remember the one where Ricky Rudd did. I got to look that up now. But, but yeah, now Rudd, boy, I, I mean, Rudd and his uh, engine builder one time got got into it. I remember his engine tuner. Yeah, he's he was a hard You couldn't dude. have paid me to fight Ricky Rudd. No, <laughs> the scrappy rooster. Me. The scrappy rooster. I do want to give a nod yeah, to the – Yeah, but Doug, wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't Ricky a golden gloves boxer? Oh, yeah. did, did he have a boxing background? Well, I'll tell you what, he had that neck that yeah. good boxers I'm have. That's sure for sure. Did. Yeah. 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 yeah, and and yet still seems so unassuming. By the way, he still runs some races every now and again on on a short track level. Good, he'll, good. he'll resurface. Yeah, yeah he's he's just a I always really I don't I, I, I that kind of dude. I really I, I there's just something about that guy. He just looks like a he just looks like a racer to me. You yeah, know? and I sometimes worry. I've brought this up before that now they all look like they can do Benetton ads. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. A, like they're really fashionable. You know, yeah, that's just I think that's just how the generations have changed. Yeah. Too. I think I think guys now just generally try to be I don't know be more fashionable. I guess. Mm-hmm. So and one thing I want to give a nod to is who the championship four are at and at, at each level here. So we know who they are in the Cup Series, obviously, and the Xfinity Series. It's a trio of junior motorsports drivers that are going to go to the next level at Homestead. Those drivers are William Byron, who won the Phoenix race, Elliot Sadler. 
and then uh, Justin Allgaier. They're also going to be joined by fe- by fellow rookie to Byron, Daniel Hemrick, in the 21 car. He re- he managed to outrace Cole Custer by just a point or two to get into that championship four. And then going into the truck race, this is going to be interesting at Homestead because you have Johnny Sauter, who won at Phoenix, and is he's pretty much he and Christopher Bell have been the guys all year mm-hmm. long. Christopher Bell advances to Homestead. Matt Crafton, former teammate of Sauter's, by the way, is uh, at Homestead. And then Austin Sendrick. Whose yeah. whose father Tom Sendrick is in the executive board up at Penske. Austin Sendrick and Ben Rhodes were racing for that last championship four spot and made contact uh, early in a early in a run. I think on a restart there late in that Phoenix race and it sent Rhodes nose first into the wall. Sendrick got his first win, the win that got him into the playoffs by wrecking Kaz Grawl, and then he gets into Ben Rhodes there. And so I think he's going to have a big target mm-hmm. on his back going to that Homestead race. Also want to give a nod to the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame inductees for the class of 2017. I got to be the MC at that ceremony up at Dawsonville on Saturday, and that's something Captain Herb used to do every year, so I was glad to get to do it. And the, the five nominees are, and, and, and Dan, any, anything you want to share about them, because you got to see them a lot closer than I did through the years. You had uh, uh, Doc Bundy, who was a road racer, who raced a lot. He actually won the Rolex 24 in one of the classes, and uh, I think also the tw- 24 Hours Le Mans, if I'm uh, – I think he won those the either T Lamont or the twenty four hours right. Lamont. One of those two he won. You have Mike Love, who won a bunch of late model races and is in the Wheeland uh the Wheeland Southern Tour Hall of Fame with Denny Hamlin and Clint Boyer and several others. They had Mike Love. You had Gary Dingler, who was an engine builder who built engines for a bunch of winning late model teams through Georgia Racing. Jabez Jones, who also was a winning driver and car owner, and then one who maybe had the biggest link to NASCAR, Bobby Johns. And Rex White was actually, Bobby Johns is deceased and had no family, no surviving right. family. Bobby Johns is the guy in 1960 Daytona 500 who was leading, and his back windshield came out, and that caused him to spin out and wreck, and that led to Junior Johnson winning the Daytona 500. So awesome. So those are the five Georgia Racing Hall of Fame inductees. Well, congratulations to all of them. You know what I want to say? Yep, congratulations to all of them. And uh, worked with Gary Dingler for, for quite a number of years and uh, very well deserving for him because he's done a lot of short track engines, done a lot of race engines over the years. Very well deserved. And another another driver to recognize too the uh, 2017 Georgia Driver of the Year. And and I like to mention Georgia drivers a lot when yeah. I'm t- live tweeting races and things, but it's always on the NASCAR level. But former NASCAR driver and former Bill Elliott Racing developmental driver Casey Roderick. Who is now driving a lot of it, a lot of the time for legendary uh, Georgia race team owner and driver Ronnie Sanders? Uh, Casey Rodericks won 18 races in late models and oh. both pro and super late model races throughout the Southeast. Bubba Pollard had a ton of success with that number 18 car as well, and Bubba Pollard was the driver of the year last year, driver for his own team. So it's good to see a Lawrenceville driver, only 25 years old, Casey Roderick who used to be a teammate with Chase Elliott. I used to cover them in the gas series uh, coming up uh, to get that get that nominate, get that award. Yeah, you know, for me, I feel like, I mean, obviously, I didn't grow up in, in Georgia racing. I grew up in the Northeast. But I, it, it all, it, every region has, and every state and every region has great racers. I don't know about every state, but the states that I've lived in have, have great racers and, and uh, great scenes, great racing yeah. scenes. Yeah. And uh, we talked about this, I think, last week. That sometimes I forget that there are drivers who are wildly famous at a track, like they Correct. own a track, you know. Correct. And like when I was a kid, I I was I was more enamored, in, like when I went to see racing in the mid south, I was more enamored with like Sam Swindell and oh, yeah, uh, and, yeah. and I used to watch Sam and Sammy race together, Hooker Hood and Ricky Hood race together. And even though I paid some attention to NASCAR and Richard Petty was famous to me, those guys like Hooker Hood and Sam Swindell in the early seventies, those were famous, famous drivers to me. They they were the world to me. And the personalities mattered. The personalities and, mattered. And, yeah. and again, that's something that we keep getting back to on this podcast here. And Dan, I think about just like to Eric's note, in the few years that I got to spend with you up at Gresham Motorsports Park, getting to be the announcer, so you get to meet these guys and learn their names and the girls too. And and those moments, I mean, when the when there's a crowd of two to two to four thousand people that are that are cheering for this one driver, 
you know, you and and then, and then especially if it's a division where they're the dominant car and they're winning each week, they really do feel. Like, you're thinking like, man, I just like to be on their level. That's pretty cool. I'd like to, <laughs> and they only matter in that one little yeah, sphere. Yeah. I'm not saying as a human they don't matter, but as a driver, they only matter in that mm-hmm. one sphere. They're they're weekly local racers, and and I hope that scene no one, still exists. I mean, I hope that I hope it's still that way. I don't know if it is or not, but I hope it's still that way. I'm, I'm like you, Eric. I don't, I don't think it exists anymore. I think that the way the races are anymore, you have to travel quite a bit because it yeah. seems like it is more travel than it used to be. Uh-huh. It used to be you had a home track. You grew up at the home track. Now you don't. <laughs> I think we're losing Dan there. Uh, but but uh, to, to Dan's point there, and we'll see if he pops back in here in a second. Uh, he's ha- have it, obviously having some connection issues right. today. Um the closest paved track that a lot of these drivers go and race, the local drivers or even ones, is Cordial. Mm. Okay, you know, three and a half hours. I mean, this is south yeah. of Macon. Casey Roderick spends most of his time driving from where he lives in Lawrenceville or around here yeah. down to Cordial. It used to be he could go to Lanier or to Gresham within 30 minutes of right. his house and and – and he would be, you know, and he would have a place to go. And so, that's, what are the purses like? If you win the feature uh, at the top level on these, play, I, what what, are the, what is the purse like? For I, th- I think if it's a original series, and, it, and here's Dan coming back in, so maybe you, Dan, you can announce or, or say what the purses are like. But generally, it's a. It seems like it's higher in the dirt racing level right now than right. it is in pavement racing. But for just a local track dirt, per, I mean, a local track uh, paved asphalt late model purse, let's say. I mean, it's only like a couple of thousand dollars. You're not right. doing it to win money. You know, right, you're doing yeah. it. To, <laughs> you're, you're doing it because you love racing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it could be anywhere from $1,200 to $5,000, but definitely dirt seems to carry the most purse for winning. But now I don't know about down through the positions. I, I think all of those are really bad once you pass second or third place. But um, you definitely, to, to break even, you've got to win the races. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's and just getting think about it for uh, for the expenses of a team. You may have the car, and they're not you know these aren't teams that have five cars back at the shop. You know, it's usually the car, and then you got to pay yeah. a pit pass fee to get each of your crew in. And then you got to pay for the tires, pay for the fuel, and then of course any wear or tear. I mean, you're not doing it to <laughs> you're not doing yeah. it to make a profit right. without a sponsor. Right. You know, they, it's really a hobby. You love to. You don't make any money yeah. when you go hunting. Yeah, right. You don't make yeah. money when you go fishing. Yeah. It's just an expensive other hobby for a lot of these guys. But they put a whole Saturday or, or Friday or Sunday. You know, into next week it. maybe because we can't get into this now. Just talking about dirt. I don't know if it's it possible, but I would love to see a dirt race put into the uh, the NASCAR top level series. I don't know that there's a track that can handle it, right? I don't know if there's a dirt track yeah. that can handle a NASCAR event. There probably isn't. You'd have to build it. But well, I, I think Eldora's with the uh, truck race already being there. Eldora seems like it would be the natural first place to go. Uh, Bristol at one point, do y'all remember back in the early 2000s they ran some dirt races at Bristol. They temporarily put dirt on the top of it to run uh sprint cars there? Oh, but, late, but you, mean, you mean like you mean like you mean like wing sprint cars? Not sprint cars. But. No, I don't mean sprint cup. I mean, right, like, yeah, yeah, right, I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, dirt cars. I, I just think it would be a, a. It's it's a part of racing. We have road courses for a reason because that's a part of racing, and dirt is certainly a part of racing. And it would be nice to know that champions can 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 race on dirt. I'd love to see one hey, track Davey, and two races. Let's go back to uh, let's go back to Lakewood again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd do some work there. <laughs> yeah, hey Dan, yeah. that could be now your that, next project. That track could handle a cup race for sure because that was a one mile dirt race track. Was yeah. I didn't know it was a mile long. Wow. Yeah, it was a mile long. It's uh, that, that's incredible. What I'm wondering about is just what what it takes to put on a cup event, right? I mean, with to handle the crowd, to handle the <laughs> yeah. television, all of that. I don't know. I think there's somebody on the line here that could tell you about some of those the discussions they've had aggression <laughs> when they were talking about bringing NASCAR there, huh? Yeah, it takes a lot of infrastructure a cup race. And you're talking about the roads in, you're talking about mm-hmm. accommodations around, you're talking about food, bathrooms, you're talking about the whole experience it would yeah. take to do that. And it is expensive. Yeah, because I'd love to see, say, Formula One at Road Atlanta. There's nothing wrong with the track itself, yeah. but you couldn't handle with that little road getting in there everything yeah. you would need to put on an they, event they, like that. That, and they're not coming to America more than once. Yeah, you know they they yeah. make one stop in a country, and I think well, I think you know uh, what? Maybe they get Circuit to... of the America or uh, uh, 
the the racetrack in Austin now. I'm losing the name of it there, but yeah. I think that they they probably have that locked up for now. Oh know, no, no, they do, the they do. Yeah. But I'm, <laughs> but I mean, is they built that specifically knowing they were going to have F1 events there and built it in order to be able to handle yeah. all that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, any parting thoughts there, guys? We headed to this championship weekend, and folks, we are going to be back on with you uh, next week to you know to sum everything up there and then we'll be with you through the off season also but uh dan before you get going i know you're working hard over there anything you want to people to walk away with today no i think that uh the with the championship coming up this weekend it'll be exciting all the way around and uh be a good weekend for racing and just enjoy and be careful i will put a wish out there a racing wish <laughs> if you is wish that upon that's right that with uh 20 laps left we have uh, all four of our potential winners <laughs> in the top six and two wild cards, two guys in there that aren't have no chance to get spoilers in there. Be, I would just love to see it come down to a, a real race. I, I don't want somebody to basically have it in their back pocket with 30 to go. I'd I, love to see a real race. Every one of these has turned out to be like that. Yeah. Remember in 2014, there was a point where Ryan, I think Kyle Busch kind of ran away with it in 2015, just mm-hmm. off the top of my head. But in 2014, there was a point where Ryan Newman had the lead. Ryan yeah. Newman, who is in the Brad Keselowski spot this year, except he had zero race wins, did Newman? That's right. And yeah, and and then last season, of course, Jimmy Johnson was the one yeah, that won, know. not Carl Edwards, who went down to block Logano, not Kyle Busch, who had a problem on a pit stop. And, so. But it, I want to see that thing. You know, I I saw a race in Atlanta. I don't know how many years ago, but there were about there were about thirty laps in the middle of this race where Tony Stewart, Earnhardt Jr. when he was at the top of his game, Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, there were like 30 laps where these guys were all in the top six, and they were all together, and I just love watching, because that's when it's the that, driver. That might have been the 2004 yeah. uh, fall race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. That's when it's the driver, right? Where got, got wrecked by Edwards on yeah. the front straight. Yeah. You, you I, see I these guys that. going yes. for 25, 30 laps, and it's just mano a mano and driving skills, yeah. and uh, hopefully they'll be at least a part of this race that will that will do that for anybody with a short short term memory loss or maybe this is long term now six years ago the 2011 Homestead race where Tony Stewart went and just stole that daggum championship mm-hmm. for Carl Edwards they were the only two that could really win it and it's Edwards started from the pole Stewart started toward the back Stewart had trouble with the front end of the car he he got even further back and he drove all the way to the front and just rested that lead away yeah. from Edwards that's what you're talking about, Eric, is to yeah. have it come down. There'll be four drivers. All they have to do is be the one that finishes in front of the other the three. You know, they don't even necessarily yeah. have to win. But I think I'm just hoping two order. of them don't go out early or something. I'd just like to see yeah, all four of them in the mix. See it. Yeah. You know, and, and drivers that can play spoiler. By the way, uh, Kyle Larson is great at Homestead. Loves the high line. Four straight DNFs for the 42 team. By the way, either for engine or mm-hmm. crashes. It's it's been crazy terrible luck. And and I think. I think those are that's really the main one out of these guys that can play spoiler. Denny Hamlin's also really good at Homestead as Quick well. Quick question going into next year: Does Ganassi have what it takes as a team to put Kyle Larson where he deserves to be over the next couple of years? Seems like they got close here until the yeah. very end. Yeah. That, that, that's something we could tackle a little bit later. Uh, Eric, you're the sixth and final leg of the Autumn Fall Breakfast Tour for the Von Hessler Doctrine is going to be where, Tomorrow when, what, how? morning, 9 a.m., Mad Life is the name of the place in Woodstock. And we went there once a few weeks ago, had a great crowd, so we're going to finish it off there. And, uh, you know, by the way, you got a chance to win on 1000 bucks if you show yeah, up. Yeah, so they've doubled the money now. Any yeah. listener that shows up has a chance if they sign up to win $1,000. Um, we, we've also got going on, uh, so that's that's Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. Wednesday night at Marlowe's Tavern in Roswell, oh, yeah. we're, they're going to have a big live remote for Mark Aram celebrating, because I don't know if you've heard. I have but, heard from <laughs> Mark himself. From Mark himself. He is the youngest uh-huh. inductee to the Georgia Radio Hall of Fame. And being on the traffic team, I'm especially proud of what Mart's done because he was one of the people that taught me the craft. Okay, yeah. so it's it's good to see him doing that. So that's from seven to nine, Marlowe's Tavern in Roswell. I don't even know the address, but the one in Roswell. Look, it's, you Google things these Google days. Google things. I that's mean, that's why we're not too worried about that. Put it into your Maps app. Yeah, there you go. Or you know, triple two traffic alert. I'm yeah. sorry, no, I it's apologize. Okay. It's not, our app is not a GPS app, so it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to say it. Just just throwing that out there. Also, be sure to stay with WSB for those in Atlanta, and maybe you might be interested in this out of market. But the Georgia Dome is being imploded on mm. Monday morning at 7:30, Monday, November the 20th, 7:30 a.m. 
And I just found out yesterday, I, although I'll be in the traffic center, I won't be in the Skycopter, the TFR around it, the, the flight restriction around it, is only a quarter mile. Oh. <laughs> so Smiler Mark McKay will have a catbird seat right there getting to watch the thing go down. Eric, your show will be live from somewhere around yeah, there? Yeah, well, we're going to be there, I guess. We'll be there live when it goes down, which <laughs> will be during the <laughs> morning news, and then we're going to do a show from there from 9 to 11. Do you know where? Uh, somewhere very close, right there on the spot, supposedly. I, I will find out when I get there you know i laugh at these things because our program director pete spriggs he told me to do an eclipse remember we did the eclipse show yeah and i laughed at him and i said it's a it's an audio medium and it's a physical like you can't see the radio and uh we ended up getting huge ratings for that show i, I think we did and, so and y'all, I did, y'all did a great yeah. job you and mark aram on I, that show i don't laugh at him anymore when he tells me <laughs> i want you to be there when they implode the dome so i'll be there and i think that's going to be great so uh dano i hope you tune in to watch all of that too and uh i'm, I'm sure that's going to be pretty exciting me too. You know, at, at this particular point in the game, when I'd come in and I'd aggravate Captain Herb all the time about Kyle Bush, and I'd see the <laughs> hair on the back of his head stand oh, up. And, you know, I, I got to follow tradition here. And uh, Homestead is one of those deals where uh, Kyle Bush is going to be your winner at Homestead. There you go. There you go. That'll, you that'll go. seal all that up. And and again, the guy that's that sort of emerged again is the black hat, and he'll get to beat his rival Brad Keselowski. And I think it'll be a way to Joe Gibbs Racing to thumb its nose at the relationship they have with Furniture Row Racing. I mean, and Kyle Bush and Kevin Harvick have fought in the past. I mean, they, those yeah. are three guys I think that that Bush would certainly like to beat. Well, we're going to let y'all go and get, and get ready to simmer and enjoy that. We'll be ba- back next week with the Five to Go podcast. Uh, be sure to check us out again. And I, for those that are maybe hearing this somewhere else, you can get it on iTunes, like our page on Facebook. That's where we put the link up to it each week. And we hope y'all have a wonderful week. Peace out.